Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Asban, here with my friend, Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachar Chagiga, daf Chaf Aleph, page 21. Another plug for our upcoming Siam, which will God willing be on March 6th. Thank you for people who have, uh, everyone who's registered already, for uh, those of you who have agreed to speak. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from as many learners as possible. Uh, and we really look forward to finishing a, uh, our study of Seder uh, Moed together. Um, this is really an interesting DAP. It's a very, very short DAP. And I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about sort of structurally what's happening here. So based on the Mishnah that we just did, which talked about these ma'alot, in other words, these additional stringencies that we see around some of the halachot of, of Tuma and Tara, now what the Gemara is going to do is it's going to go through each one of those 10 ma'alot and really take a little bit of a deep dive into them uh, in order to understand them. So for example, on this daf, uh, which is going to talk about the first one of them, um, it's going to, dis- you know, which is about uh, immersion, uh, you know, the immersion of a vessel inside of another vessel um, and why that wouldn't be allowed. Um, and so, you know, that that's why they're, uh, you know, that's what there's a lot of uh, discussion about here. And it's going to continue on even to the uh, to the next Mishnah. Um, but that that's what you're going to see basically now for the next few pages is they're just going to go through each all 10 of these. Um, and just uh, I- explain what each of these are. So in other words, this one is starting off trying to understand what exactly is the stringency based on? Like, w- what is the reason for it? Um, and the question being, and Anne, you're going to read a little bit about this, is that it can't be about chatzitza. And so they want to, you, know, you know, because the fifth one is about chatzitza, right? Which is the idea of sort of uh, something creating a barrier when you're trying to, to immerse it into a mikvah. The other thing I just want to comment about here is there, the reason why this staff is particularly short is there's a huge toast vote here. Um, I don't think we've actually huge, spent, huge. Yeah. Right. It takes over the daf. Right. And I don't think we've actually spent time talking about like who toast vote is. You know, so on our classic page of Gemara, there's, you know, I will consider this a little bit of a who's who, um, you know, that basically there's Rashi uh, sort of on the inner page, right? Or, you know, and then Tosfot is on the outer page, right? So Tosfot is basically a medieval commentary um, on the Talmud. Um, and um, there are many people, right? There's not just one person um, who's uh, Tosfot. Some of them are Rashi's grandchildren. Um, and the Tosfot, sort of the idea of Tosfot is, is that they want to find uniformity in the Gemara. So often what they'll do is they'll say, okay, we're talking about this topic in our job. There's a Gemara in another Masachat that seems to contradict or doesn't seem to exactly line up with what we're talking about. So we're going to see if we can come up with a system to say how it's all one cohesive system, that why they're not contradicting each other, but they're either, you know, explaining two different scenarios, they're two different cases, or something like that. Um, I like to say that, that the Bali, I like to say that the Baleatosfot learn from the Gemara about the goal of reconciling apparently contradictory passages. Right, that's a great way to explain it, and I think the thing to also uh, recognize is there's not like, you know, as I said, the Tosfot is multiple authors, which is also sort of interesting. It's not, you know, sort of like Rashi writing a commentary or the Riff writing a commentary or the Ron writing a commentary. It's actually different schools of thought 
and it's sort of collected together and put onto the page. So that's also very and interesting. And it was coming out of France. Well, a right. little bit of Germany, but all all like the Ashkenazi tradition, as opposed to when we talk about, let's say, Rambam, Maimonides, and he's coming out of the Sephardic Spanish tradition, which in the Middle Ages, you know, made a really big difference in terms of how the, the methodology of interpretation of Talmud, for example, uh, which we're not going to get into now because that's not our task, but it's worth knowing. And when Adaf has so few words like this one, you know, the the immediate thing is, well, what are they talking about in the Rishonim? There must be something big going on. Right. As, and that's what you sort of have to ask. Right. So this big Tosfos uh, basically talks about sort of the timing or, you know, if somebody needs to go to the mikvah because they're Tameh, when does that take place? Does it have to take place after sundown? When could it take place before sundown? Giving a very brief outline to that Tosfos. Um, and that's what this large Tosfos is talking about. All right. Now I think we're ready to do a little bit of Gemara. <laughs> yeah, um, I just want to just also note that this is that's like a window. What you've just said, Yardena, you know, the Baliatos vote and compared to Rashi and then even the Spartic traditions and so on. All of that is the window into what Talmud learning that is not Daf Yomi is all about. Right. Like delving into all of the commentary on the Daf. There's so much. If only we had the time. You've you've all heard us lament this before. This is an example of. You know, you look at that kind of huge Tosvot commentary and say, wow, there's so much more than these few words. And the fact is, it's very clear to me that there's much more because this stuff in, um, you know, among all of these stuff in about Tumantara, I would say that this stuff in particular, on the one hand, is very brief. And on the other hand, it's kind of inscrutable because, again, because the expectation is that um, there's more to delve into. So what I'm looking at Ahmed Bed at the top of Ahmed Bed or almost the very top of Ahmed Bed, um, the Gemara had said, you know, that we're following that the mission was in, aligned with the opinion of Rav Ilah. And then the Gemara here says that Rav Ilah's line of reasoning was considering, right, the issues of these two Matara in accord with Rav Hanina Bar Papa's list, namely, I'm Rav Hanina Bar Papa, Eser Ma'alot Shanu Khan. There are these ten stringencies regarding the Korbanot here, specifically, right, in the Mishnah. And and part of the issue is that the, it looks like there was eleven, right? But in fact, it turns out that there's, you know, the Gemara here is saying, well, there's really only ten. The Gemara says these first five ma'alot, these first five stringencies, apply to the Korbanot foods and also to the non- sacred food, right? Meaning to regular food that was, you still, it was still prepared according to Batara, right? Um, but technically it was Hulin. Um, and then those five do not apply they do not apply to the Hulin, to the, to the non-sacred foods, right? Because th that had been, let's say this better, okay? The, the first five apply whether to the korbanot food or to the chulin food, all of them were made, were all prepared betara with purity. Achronot, but then the last five, lakodesh, they all apply to the korbanot food, avalol chulin, but not to the regular food. Shnasu altara takodesh, even though that um, chulin, the regular food, was prepared with tara, they are still they have different stringencies, or they don't have those second five stringencies. Which means then, right, that Ravila is only counting the 10 cases in the Mishnah, 
Um, and he considers all the, like he he's not considering them all in the same category, and he's not counting the, he's counting them as one stringency. Okay, now the Gemara then asks, what is the reason for that distinction? Meaning, what the Mishnah seems pretty clear. What's Ravila's concern? Maitama and we're switching into Aramaic. Because the first five, those first five malot, those first five stringencies, all are connected to the tuma doraita, meaning a level, an understanding of an impurity that is at a Torah level of impurity. As compared to the sages decreeing that if you handle hulin, um, in a pure, pure manner, then you have, um, then you're handling it with a with a stringency, right? But it's a rabbinic decree to do so, uh, as compared to um, those first five. But travaihu, no, I'm sorry. But trita delatlahu dirara detuma midoraita gazrubahu rabbanan lakodesh lachulin shnasu al tarata kodesh lo gazrubahu rabbanan. So the second five, the rabbis did not establish that same decree that the Kodesh, that the Korbanot foods, would have the same status or the same restrictions, really, as the Hulin foods. I'm sorry, that the Hulin foods would not have the same restrictions as the Korbanot foods. There, the distinction that Ravi Lai is making between the first five and the second five is upheld by the Gemara, saying that the the fact that there is there are these stringencies, um, Chazal themselves only established that parallel between Hulin and Kodesh for the first five and not the second five. Um, okay. I, it's like I said, it's a kind of thing that, you know, really requires it. It expects of us to go delve in and find out what are all of these five and what are all of these five and how are they going to apply to each kind of case? And, and we're not doing that, but that's what one might do if what might, if you had, you know, oodles of hours to devote to this. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Town with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.